record? Recording. All right. Ready? Yeah, let's do this. Five, four, three, two. I'm putting one finger up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are here for episode 10. That's our decaversary. And yeah. We're coming at you with yet another movie-related podcast, which means we will be more excited than we were for the book-related version, historically <laughs> speaking, although this yeah. may be different. Uh, you are listening to the best podcast in the world that is about the worst books and movies in the world, so I hope you enjoy it. Joining me today are my two very close friends. Uh, we have first Chris, the smart one. Chris, say hi. Hey, everybody. And, of course, we have Ezra the Funny One. Uh. <laughs> and my name is... Oh, he's so funny. <laughs> and my name is Alex. I'm the one who uh, does knows web design. And uh, <laughs> thank you all for joining us. Let's get into talking about Fessions of a Shopaholic, the movie. I'm ready. So are you. Let's go. Some new stilettos can't walk down the street in those you are. Yeah. So, uh, guys, uh, do we have? Can we open with a compliment uh, each for for the movie? Because we do the compliment sandwich. We have a compliment at the beginning, compliment at the end, and all the shit in between. I got one. Please. Um, so there is an addition to the to the addition to this movie that I thought was really nice. I liked the um, the sassy receptionist that they had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also sassy, liked that character. Uh, Sassy, um, can we can we commit to gay receptionist? I'm pretty sure <laughs> he reads it gay. He does. It's, well, anyway, it's, um, no. One of my favorite quotes I think was from him. Uh, so I think he, uh, Becky was talking to him, and she asked him, "What would your mother like?" And he said, "Sobriety." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Alex, do you have a compliment? Yeah, I've got a I've got a compliment. Uh, I liked so many people in this movie. This movie has a great cast, excepting its leads. John Goodman, Joan Cusack, uh, Andy from The Office, uh, 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 John Lithgow. Yes. Uh, 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 Fred Armisen. Uh, oh, Fred Armisen, yeah. Which one is he? Is he um, from... He's from Saturday Night Live. He was... Uh, uh, he, like, he plays he was... Obama on Saturday Night Live. He's oh, oh that guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's totally fun, and uh, and including a, an awesome cameo from uh, John Sally, the first round draft pick for the Detroit Pistons in 1987, 88, 86. Yeah. Anyway, the NBA guy who was actually an NBA guy who played the part of crazy NBA guy who loves watches <laughs> and can't stop shopping for watches. <laughs> he's so much fun, and that's that's his only thing. And early on, we see him talk about how he. At a shopaholic meeting, Shopaholics Anonymous, where he says uh, um, that he just he's been he's gone without shopping for almost six hours after he bought a new diamond studded watch for each day of the week. Yeah, and then later when she break when the main act the the star breaks down and goes shopping and talks about all the things she bought, he says, "You need a watch to wear with that." And he just <laughs> loves watches, and he's just eight feet tall and hilarious. Uh, anyway, so every actor in this movie was awesome, except the leads. As long as they didn't have any screen time, they were awesome. <laughs> that was the rule yeah. of the casting director, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, my compliment also has to do with the NBA guy. Um, oh, 
Yeah, it, it does. I thought you were um, going to say it also has to do with the NBA. I love how there's more outside shooting these days. <laughs> Actually, I love that too. But um, no, what it is is um, at, at one point uh, near, the, near the end of the movie, and uh, I'd say this is a spoiler, but you guys don't care if you're listening to this podcast. Well spoiled. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, there's this close auction to get her money to repay the debt. Um, Becky Blue and what? So uh, the, everybody in her shopping, uh, shopaholic support group helps out, and the NBI guy is manning the hat table. And so uh, you know, at one point, you know, the 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 leader is going around like pointing like accessories, handbags, and points to him and goes millinery, and he goes <laughs> what? And she goes hats. And he's like, oh yeah, covered. And it's, I just thought it was great, not only because um, it was funny, but it was a teachable moment. You know, it, <laughs> more NBA stars need to know the synonyms for hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh man, so um, that's that's our compliments. Um, let's forget about those for a while and talk about what we didn't like about this movie. Well, it, uh, this is our traditional time for a bit of plot summary. Um, oh, that's true. You're would right. Would you like to do it, Chris? Because you could certainly uh, uh, be relieved of that duty if you were exhausted by it. Um, well, why don't we let um, Ezra summarize the plot since our, our listeners are already, you know, a little bit familiar with the plot, and then we can go into how how it's different from the books. And they're also know? they're also clamoring for more and more Ezra. Yeah, no, everybody is. They can't get enough of you. I get these I get these emails almost every day that say more Ezra on the podcast. <laughs> it's because I send those emails every day. <laughs> Admittedly, one of them was from your mom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Please. Please. Pleased to be making your mom happy by being on this show. Right. Um, okay. In brief, um, basically, as always, Becky is terrible at life. She spends all of her money um, and money that she doesn't have on clothes. And I think actually it's been pumped up in the movie, so she's even further in debt um, in this this time around. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. By by a good amount. So yeah, we're talking maybe like. 12,000, 13,000, 16,000, 16,000. I'll tell you the exact number. It is $16,1262. And I know that uh, because I wanted, when they said the number, I thought this is a moment for them to be super cool where they were to take the the exact amount that she said she was in debt in the book and then just translate it from pounds into dollars. And then make the same amount of dollars to thousand nine dollars. So I mean, <laughs> then you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't bother to compare that, but I. I know that immediately it was not the same number. However, uh, the the actress totally misspeaks because she says sixteen thousand twelve hundred, which, <laughs> as far as I know, is just seventeen thousand two hundred. And she is and, terrible at everything. Okay. Um. Basically, she figures she's gonna have to get a job in order to make back all this money. Uh. She gets a job. Oddly enough, for a financial uh, company, you know, through like her own dumb luck, because she messed up, you know, sending hate mail, um, and basically falls in love eventually with the British rogue billionaire, uh, rogue millionaire, I guess, British rogue millionaire, who uh, runs the company, and you know, messes everything up, gets more in debt, uh, and eventually becomes famous, and everything works out for her. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? 
I think that's pretty good. I think you you didn't quite mention that she single-handedly turns the financial magazine around financially <laughs> in under three days. Yeah, they by, go by from they go from being almost out of business to being a major force of journalism to be reckoned with in the world in three days. Issues of the magazine are flying off the shelves because she wrote an essay analogizing one aspect of personal finance to a sweater. And apparently that is well enough read. I mean, it's like there are riots over this sweater analogy. I mean, it's incredibly successful. It's a really, it's the most yeah. successful analogy, I think, in the history of writing. In the history of time, for sure. And that includes Jesus. So, yeah. <laughs> he liked to stay in the metaphor area and never resorted to the common analogy, as he called them. The pedestrian analogy. Fair enough. I like to think of Jesus as a grammar snob. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, like he could like get you like for like say lying on a cross or laying on a cross. <laughs> he was all about. He he would he, seriously he would he would turn your your blood into wine if you messed that up. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to come up with a painful way for Jesus to kill you, but it's not really in his. Uh, I don't think you'd really feel that much, much, right? Wait, yeah. that would be that would be like a hundred percent right blood alcohol thing. Like, <laughs> wine, wine isn't a hundred percent alcohol, oh. but oh, shit. Oh, that's true. But there's no blood though, right? So you're yeah. you, so it so would be an infinity percent blood alcohol. <laughs> no, you well you'd have like you'd you'd have a hundred percent wine level in your blood, but you know wine's like what uh, 12, 12, 16 percent, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but but so the way the but the way the measurement is usually taken, right, is alcohol divided by blood, right? So since there's no blood, this would actually be there is E as your blood alcohol level. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you would have calculator error as your blood alcohol level. <laughs> also, you're not in good shape. Yeah, you're definitely not alive. <laughs> you're not even around to quibble about this. You have <laughs> have bigger issues like Jesus just killed you, which is not a good sign for your afterlife. Yeah, you will not. Out. Oh, but you could be. That's what happens, right? You're like you are the kegger at the kegger that Satan's throwing later on in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Satan slits your wrists and drinks you. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like fun. Man, we are off topic. <laughs> would that be? Would that make you a wine skin? Oh. Eh. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Another thing that is important to note here is that she is significantly dumber in the movie than she was in the book. Which really? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought possible. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. Well, she was so dumb in the book. I mean, I, she was so dumb. Okay. However, some examples. In the book, she was already working in a financial magazine instead of in the – book where or in the movie where she she gets into the job uh, and the way she gets into the job is by accidentally sending the wrong drunken letter to the to her boss when she meant it to go to another magazine so she at least got hired for that job in the book whereas in the movie she lucked into it in fact i think her only gift in the movie is verbal diarrhea Whereas, in, in as much as that can be called a gift, in the book, at least she sat down and worked hard on one article that got her famous. In the movie, 
she's just famous for that drunken letter that she accidentally sent to the wrong person. I mean, okay, let's see if I can make a case against this. Um, all right, all right, all right. It is time for read it and weep debates. Is Rebecca Bloomwood stupider in the movie than she was in the book? Coming in on the affirmative, Alex. Arguing for the negative side, Ezra. Chris, where do you stand? Uh, I'll be the arbitration. Representing the arbitrating, Chris. <laughs> Chris, take take us away. Good ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are here today to solve the question. Is Rebecca Bloomwood dumber in the movie of Confessions of the Shopaholic than the book? We have very respected men in their fields on each side of the question. Alex has already laid out his groundwork, his abstract. Uh, we'll leave this to the negative side. I argue that it would be impossible for her to be dumber than she is in the book. You can't say, like, you know, someone who is 100% dumb can be dumber. It's, she can be, you know, you cannot turn the dumbness up to 11. Objection. She, what? In the book, does she not actually write one piece of legitimate journalism? Yes, she does. But actually, in this one, she writes many pieces. Of, of legitimate Ill- journalism? Of, of illegitimate journalism. Point. Does that not make her real journalism in the book substantially higher than that in the movie? This may be true, but I, I think here, here's here's the issue. All right, I think she's equal amounts of dumb in both the book and the movie, but in the movie she's much luckier, which <laughs> makes you think that she's dumber, right? But she is way luckier in in the movie. Like every time something happens in the movie, it turns out well. Objection. Yes. Does she not? I don't know if objection is the right word if I'm going to ask you a question. Right, rhetorical questions? I don't know. <laughs> rhetorical question. Yes, you. Does, that, does the fact that she was able to get luckier not signify the fact that she was in a worse place to begin with? What, with her intelligence? In regards to her life situation, which I claim is a response to her natural intelligence. Point of order. <laughs> her life situation has no effect on her intelligence. We see smart people. In good places, smart people in bad places, dumb people in both good and bad places. I think that argument's irrelevant. Objection. Overruled. (laughs) You can't overrule me. (laughs) That was Chris. (laughs) Let's go to the tape. Good. Court reporter. Was that Ezra or Chris? It was Chris. Oh, damn it. (laughs) I would like to speak. You're speaking. Good. A small victory. (laughs) In the end of the movie... What does she do to turn her entire life around? I don't remember. Does she? Oh, she she sells her stuff. She sells her stuff, or everybody else sells her stuff for her. Well, so she gets people to do her dirty work for her. That sounds smart to me. Let's move on to the second point, which was my main point in the first place. <laughs> uh, the more important point in the book, she when is she is told to speak Finnish. She realizes that she does not know Finnish and runs away. Whereas in the movie, when asked to speak Finnish, she chooses to slap the Finnish speaker in the face as if she understood it. Which I would argue, although it may have been tactically useful, was clearly the mark of a less self-aware person and thus a less intelligent person as we respond. No, this was definitely a better move. Right? Those guys end up loving her afterwards. So, so it was the right move. Yeah. In all statistical calculations, is it not true that one must ignore the actual outcome and focus instead on the situation as it was known during the decision-making process? Respond. Nope. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Point Ezra Fox. I'm going to give myself the win on this one. (laughs) Uh, I will have to assign the win 
to Alex. And oh, booyah! Because Ezra, Ezra, you said that uh, in uh, in one of the books she is English, or in the book she's English, and in the movie she's American, and we all know that English people are smarter than we are. Boom! Oh, so there's no point to talk about this, really. Yeah, by default, you know, uh, Becky's smarter in the book. Welcome, everybody, to yet another lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. Ez, this is your show. Take it away. All right. I realized in the opening credits, this actually was done by Jerry Bruckheimer, um, which I think might have unrealistically raised my expectations that she was going to blow up. (laughs) (laughs) Or be played by Johnny Depp. Right, I thought she was going to be Johnny Depp or blow up, and I don't think either of them happened. If it did happen, Johnny Depp is once again the best actor in the world. <laughs> Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. A nice addition to to the movie is that, um, in addition to Becky being stupid, she's actually batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, I hope you guys are thinking of what I'm thinking of, which is that she sees mannequins talking to her everywhere. <laughs> it was so creepy. Oh my god. I actually think this is a super clever device, and I was really impressed with the movie for having it. It, it was well done, but man, it freaked me out. <laughs> Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. Okay. So, at one point, uh, Becky, to prove that she's bad at everything, when she goes to this interview, she's trying to trying to work this purse, which she can't even seem to do right. And the purse like kind of springs open. It's a really great purse erection, which they, um, <laughs> they actually... There's kind of like a, almost a callback to that later on with um, uh, with her closet, which also has like a closet ejaculation. <laughs> <laughs> when like um, her her terrible terrible annoying roommate Sue's like opens her her vacuum vacuum sealed closet, and then like just like this flood of clothes just kind of like covers her in some kind of really sick porn. Um, and just kind of basically drowns her in clothing, and like she has like you know like burrow like one of those like you know Saint Bernard dogs with like the with the flask of brandy around her neck to like sort of make sure that Suze is all right, and she was okay, which was again like next to the Jerry Bruckheimer thing, probably the second biggest disappointment of the movie, <laughs> as I hated her so much. Yeah, before we talk about how bad Suze was, what what is it with you in the porn? on this i mean like i thought that uh you know like it's springing open was just sort of comedy i didn't take it sexual well i mean were you you left wanting sexually by this movie is uh, is that no i mean i think it really the with with the closet thing i pretty much was fulfilled as much as i could have been i think i don't i don't think i want any more after that um but no you you thought that it's just sort of like a, a comedy comedy boing just a light. Yeah, not every boing needs to be a bonk, you know. <laughs> but it could be. Lightning bonus round? Lightning bonus round. There is this really fun scene where the super fashionista owner of the fashion magazine comes to her house, the main character's house, to tell her that she has gotten a new job with them, the one that she's always wanted. Yeah, it's right around 85 minutes. Her mom just pops into the frame and, and, and offers cake to her. Affordable fashion. 500 words, once a month. Welcome to Alex. Oh. <laughs> I can do affordable fashion. I mean, I know where all the sales are. She, yes, she does. Oh. In fact, she got that for me. Oh. I, got, oh, I did it. Oh. I did it. Oh. 
Solid, solid physical comedy from Joan Cusack and uh, the old woman. Kristen Scott Thomas, yeah, who who is improbably French in this movie. Um, <laughs> probably, uh, probably one of the worst French accents of of the past couple years that I've <laughs> heard in a movie. I would enjoy um, being a judge on that panel. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a fun competition. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I think she was a cam- she was uh, nominated for a Academy Award uh, in a French speaking role, though, if I remember. Um, for I loved you so long. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. So she, I think, actually is fluent in French as well. Uh, as arbiter arbiter of this debate, I have to say, Chris, booyah! Yeah. <laughs> Lightning, Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. <laughs> this Derek Smith, I think, is much more evil than the than the book version. Oh Certainly. yeah, in the book. He seems like a good guy who who runs a bank and you know just wants her to pay her debt and is willing to work with her. Whereas in the movie, he shows up at and publicly embarrasses her on television and gets away with it and just kind of like I don't know he he has sent letters and made phone calls but he just doesn't seem compassionate at all. And, and he, uh, he, he he works for a debt collection agency. Whereas the whole time in the book, I was thinking, why the bank man branch manager talking to her? Send her to collections, repo her stuff. This is really easy in America. Uh, and uh, yeah. so on the American version, they made it easier. <laughs> yeah. Just on, on how Derek Smith looks in this version, I'm going to have to say that I think I have seen this guy before as the evil uh, insurance agency person in The Incredibles. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely an, an archetype. I was trying to, he's got like... He looks sort of like the evil insurance guy from the 1950s. He's got that look about him. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I was half expecting him to be voiced by Wallace uh, Wallace Shawn. And again, I guess that was my that was my third disappointment of the movie. Yeah. Uh, with the kind of heavy brow and parted hair and glasses, he's kind of got like like a, a Siler from Heroes thing going on. Only uh, way less attractive. Right. No, it could have been like uh, Becky. I want your money, and then like he did the little finger thing, and like her wallet like opens up. Like yeah, then she like gets pinned to the wall, and then he takes her powers, which is being lucky and stupid. So yeah, that would probably not work out that well for him. If you're playing along with the home game of today's episode, that is the seventh pop culture reference that Ezra has made in the last four minutes that I haven't understood. Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. Something I want to want to point out, um, Aaron. Minute forty-seven. All right, uh, this is where where Luke Brandon uh, gets to have a nice suit and looks snazzy and goes shopping with Becky. What I wrote down in my notes is that he actually has an Edward Cullen-like skill at asking for clothes. <laughs> he, he, he was very slick. Here, let's play a clip of him buying clothes. Actually, what I really need is a uh, tuxedo, say three buttons, size forty-eight, regular. A white dress shirt, I'll try the blue as well, and a black Veniche shoe in the size 10. And two Advil. Yeah, he's super good. He's, he's a, and, he, and it's a sleeper skill. He acts like he, he sucks at dressing, but then he, he's totally good. Yeah, and he just right out asks for it. He's like, this and this, you know? Like, it's very, yeah, in fact, very good. Actually, he's, he was so good at ordering that tuxedo that it made me think, why didn't he just bring a tuxedo? <laughs> Clearly, this man could have afforded to owned his own tuxedo before. Like, or, or maybe he's just that rich that he buys a tuxedo and throws it away. 
<laughs> um, actually, this Everything. is kind of nice. It's it's like it's sort of like she's all that, you know, where it's like someone's ugly, and then you know becomes hot later. Right, but in this case, yeah, right. But in this case, he made himself ugly, right? Yes. And then he go, he is just like, oh, I'll just take off my ugly, I'll put on my hot. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that hot means knowing really expensive clothes, and turns out that's right. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, in this particular case, that was like the one thing that she could he could do to actually impress Becky. Um, I know you don't yeah. want me to say this, but Chris, I think she got a huge purse erection from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! That's, That's your whole world. That's it. Um, <laughs> See erections everywhere you go. It, you're, it's like uh, it's like John Malkovich, but instead of seeing Malkovich, you see erections. <laughs> Uh, that's nice. Um, all right. This I really wish uh, everyone could see this. The scene of her dancing is one of the best things I think. Um, because okay, so this is at minute fifty-one. Yeah. She does this kind of like crazy fan dance. Um, first like with her hitting him a lot by accident because she's kind of a bad dancer, and then with really um, a bad dancer, like really a very bad dancer. And then she has this kind of crazy. I'm gonna, I'm getting up and doing it right now, which you can't see, but just so I can describe it a little better. So she kind of like <laughs> she kind of like fans like you know her thighs a little bit, and this sort of like you know kind of like this kind of this funky chicken type thing, and like she like fans her her butt a little bit, and then like kind of like like kind of like squawks around, and then hits him again with the fan. It's really a great thing. And then later on, right, we see um, her parents, uh, John Cus- uh, John Cusack and John Goodman doing the same kind of dance, and they're like, "Oh, that's <laughs> where she got it from." Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the best part was when. Uh, when John Goodman gets down on the ground, like he's gonna like spin, and then Joan Cusack just takes his legs. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna find a clip of this or, or post a clip of this. I, this is gonna be in the right now. Go to read-weave.com and click on this episode, um, episode ten, because I will have by now embedded a YouTube clip of this dance because it is easily the best part of the movie. It, John Goodman easily. lying on his back, getting spun. <laughs> <laughs> It is an excellent bit of work. Yet again, John Goodman doesn't get a lot of stage time, thus must be awesome. Ah, good times. Lightning bonus round. Lightning bonus round. Thankfully, we have come to the end of our journey. Oh man! Questions of a shopaholic. One more compliment, and you guys can go home. Ed, why don't you start us off? Okay. Towards the end of the movie, there's a really nice thing where, like, you know, John Lithgow, who is the best person in the world, he's he's kind of giving a. He's, he he has this great line. Um, he says, "Wait, well, maybe we should start a new magazine because um, they're doing so well. They maybe could uh, could do it in a completely different direction, and break off from the financial thing." Which gave me the idea, maybe they could just start a new movie without any of these people and just John Lithgow. And that would make me so happy. Like, <laughs> I was like, the great thing was I missed the next five minutes of the movie fantasizing about the movie with just John Lithgow in it. Yeah, he, he plays this character called Dante West who owns a publishing house. Mm-hmm. And what if the movie was about him and they called it like Dante's Inferno? <laughs> and... <laughs> Or if it's okay. about a new hire who's not actually getting paid but putting in a lot of time, and it's called Dante's Interno. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. I'm awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna 
compliment in a second. My compliment is I have two mini compliments. Uh, one is I love that I don't think this happened in the book that Sue's roommate refers to Luke, the hotshot boyfriend, as Fluke. <laughs> and I really yeah. love insulting pet nicknames from roommates. I yeah. Have a, I have a short history of this myself. <laughs> and uh, I think it's normal. And awesome. uh, so for that other mini compliment is I love that the producers of this movie thought it was supposed to be a comedy because that meant it was only 90 minutes as opposed to 120. <laughs> full half an hour. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I actually have a, I have a genuine compliment about this movie, um, and it, it's not a mini one. Um, I was really impressed at how, at least in one specific scene, Becky Bloomwood's shopaholism was treated as a genuine problem and a genuine disease. Um, there's this part where after she gets bitched out on TV and exposed as a liar, they're backstage, her and Luke, and Luke's you know kind of walking away from her, and he's like, I want to know just one thing. Why do you shop? And maybe we could play a clip of her explanation, yeah, but sure. it's serious addiction talk. I mean, it is serious. When I shop, the world gets better. The world is better. And then it's not anymore. And I need to do it again. I mean, that's the way people talk about gambling when they're addicted to gambling or alcohol or, you know, drugs or anything else. I mean, like, it makes her sound on top of the hallucinating and seeing mannequins. <laughs> I mean, it makes her seem seriously troubled, you know, and that this is this is a serious problem. And, of course, it's solved by the, the gang all coming together and staging a, a, a nice little garage sale, essentially. But it's, you know, like, it's treated with, with you know... A little bit of seriousness, which in a very unserious movie kind of surprised me. And that's what we were asking for, you know, in the book, is that her shopaholism was, was taken so lightly. And at least in this one scene, you know, it, it, it seems like a genuine problem. So. I, I, I don't I hate to be argumentative all day today, but I, I'm a little confused by that because I, I, I wanted the moment of reckoning where he where he says, wow, that sounds like a chemical addiction and a serious life problem and you need to do a lot to change it and take this seriously because you're hurting people you love. That's what I wanted in my comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're sick. That brings us to the end of our exhausting shopaholic journey. God, shopping is exhausting, isn't it? I mean, like, I always get <laughs> no, I always get way more tired when I shop than I think I'm going to be. And after 11 hours of an audiobook and two hours of a movie, I'm a wreck. Let me, this is not a mean question, but Ezra, can, can you tell me the last memory you have of a shopping experience? Uh, Groceries Aud don't count. Oh, how about sandwiches? No. Not like clothes or, you know, merchant bags. And not sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. That's what I thought. <laughs> anyway, we are done with shop Confessions of a Shopaholic. We are moving on officially. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing something weird. We're going to be watching a movie with no book first. It's going to be like, watch them and weep. But we're going to be going back into, our, into the archives of Terrible and watching High School Musical. I'm so friggin' excited. 
Because why? Why are we doing this? Because I think it'll be the good kind of bad. Oh, okay. I, yeah, that, that's what I think. This is junk food, not poison. <laughs> it'll just be candy-coated poison, as opposed to the poison-flavored poison we've been having recently. Then you suck on it and you spit it out. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, God. But you said that's what she said. Like you, had, you already had that in your head as the whole reason for saying the other thing. I'm so quick with that. That's what she said. Like I'm always like, it's always like that's like a, one of the first, first checks when something leaves my mouth. It's like, <laughs> does that's what she said work? Yes. Continue. <laughs> wow. Does that what she said work? No. Does this look like an erection? No. Is there an anal metaphor? No. <laughs> if, if you have reached this page, it has been an error. Please discontinue saying whatever you're about to say. You must be at a funeral. Abort. Abort. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Please uh, watch along with us, or don't, High School Musical. Uh, and we will be back at you next week-ish. Uh, as usual, we have appreciated having you here, Ezra and Chris. Yeah. Yeah, we sure do. Um, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Check us out on the web, read-weep.com. Give us feedback there. You can also give us feedback on the iTunes store. We love that. And we love email, podcasts at read-weep.com.